This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. In 2003, Joan Burning, an environmentalist and entrepreneur, had a visionary idea. She wanted to create a biodiversity corridor spanning several thousand hectares of South Africa to connect three of its most significant parks, the Garden Route National Park, the Bavians Kloof World Heritage Site and Addo Elephant National Park. Today, the Eden to Addo Corridor Initiative protects about 50,000 hectares of South Africa, re-establishing connectivity and ecosystem functioning from Eden in the west to Addo in the east. Joan's daughter Rian, now CEO of the initiative, chats here on Frontierland about the importance of their work and how the future of our planet depends on sustainability projects such as this. Enjoy. Rian, first of all, welcome to the big city, Port Elizabeth, Quebec. Lovely to have you here. Um, we're sitting here on a beautiful summer, summer's day and we're going to be talking environmental issues and your passion for what you do. But first of all, I want to ask you a little bit about your relationship with the Eastern Cape. You really, really enjoy this part of South Africa, don't you? I do. In fact, my father grew up in the Eastern Cape in Kofenwaba, which is part of the former Transkei. So you could say I have the Eastern Cape in my blood. And yesterday I went deep into the Springbok Flutter uh, with one of the farmers and a potential funder and uh, what an adventure because it's so incredibly magnificent and I don't think many people realize how beautiful the Eastern Cape actually is. It's this ecotone of all these different biomes. You know, you have the succulent karoo, you have the nama karoo, you have the Albany thicket, and then even the Feinbos on the edge of the Bavians Kloof. So it's truly magnificent. It's wide open spaces and incredible beauty. And uh, yeah, I, um, it is spectacular. Certainly since moving here, I've become aware of the diversity. I've interviewed some incredible people here on Frontierland, and uh, it, it's amazing that uh, through your eyes I can see what we have here. But as you know, I'm writing a story of, of wildlife tourism and conservation here in the Eastern Cape, and often this topic of rewilding or um, returning areas to their natural um, state comes up. Tell me about your involvement in this and where your passion comes from. So I am CEO of Eden to Addo Corridor Initiative, newly CEO as of this year, and our great vision, which is a long-term vision, is to establish corridors linking national parks and nature reserves, not only in the Eastern Cape, but all the way from Eden in the Garden Route, uh, through the Bavians Kloof, and all the way to Addo Elephant Park, uh, linking protected existing protected areas. So even as far south as Roburg Nature Reserve, we have a corridor already established, a successful corridor, Roburg Coastal Corridor, which then connects to Garden Route National Park. And we already have another successful corridor linking Formosa Nature Reserve, which is in the Eastern Cape, through the Lung Kloof to the Bavians Kloof, which is a World Heritage Site. Um, and then our focus area, as I said, is also the Springbok Flutter, linking Bavians Kloof to Addo. And the reason we want to do this is that biodiversity is in crisis. We are experiencing ecological collapse. You know, our insects are being lost at unprecedented rates. We are losing species at a thousand times faster. 
uh, than normal rates. So our ecosystems, our biodiversity is in crisis and why corridors are important is that they reconnect these protected areas to allow freedom of movement and migration of animals, especially in the face of climate change and environmental shocks from that. But they also allow natural processes such as seed dispersal and pollination to function. We need functioning ecosystems. And if you have protected areas that are fenced off and isolated, they become like stagnant gene pools where there's no movement. And animals and plants even need to move uh, as as climate changes and as conditions change. So this is what is so important, is to look at how fences are problematic in certain contexts and how we can open up these living, biological, ecological corridors of life and, and the natural flow of life. I've heard this time and time again and I'm getting to understand the importance of this idea of corridors. As you said, it's about migration, it's about connecting um, areas, not fenced off. But for you it's important that you don't work in isolation. What other agencies do you work with? Who else is involved in this kind of work? Absolutely. Uh, it's not just about connecting different ecologically important areas, but about connecting people as well. So very much believe in collaboration. We work closely with Conservation Outcomes, a fantastic local uh, uh, conservation organization, as well as Wilderness Foundation, Endangered Wildlife Trust, EWT. We are working closely with WWF, but then also the government conservation bodies, ECPTA and Sand Parks and Cape Nature. So it's all about collaborating and connecting and working towards the same goals, uh, which is biodiversity restoration and protecting the integrity of our ecosystems. I know you're in town today to have a meeting with the wonderful people at the Wilderness Foundation so it, uh, uh, I hope that goes well and I hope that you, you get the outcomes that you clearly deserve with your passion but I understand Digging a little bit into your background, if I may, that this is a family concern. I understand that your mum, Joan, who I haven't had the pleasure to meet, but people tell me is an incredible character, an environmentalist, an entrepreneur, she was the visionary behind this. How did that come about? So she founded Eden to Addo Corridor Initiative way back in 2006 with Albie Berger, Gallio Saints and Pam Booth were some of the other founding members. And the vision was to open up these corridors just in the Bito area. Um, connecting these protected areas so that there could be movement and freedom of movement for animals in those areas. But when they had their first public meeting, the man then manager of Addo Elephant Park was present at the public meeting and she said, why stop uh, at Bito? Why not come all the way to Addo? And, uh, and so that's how the vision stretched further. And yeah, so she started it in 2006 and part of what they did as an awareness raising campaign and to raise funds for conservation was start the Eden to Addo Great Corridor Hike which is a spectacular hike over 400 kilometers through all the corridors that we are focusing on. Um, immersion in wilderness, a pilgrimage to wilderness. Um, so you would walk slack packing for 20 days, experiencing all these different vegetation types, biomes, mountain ranges, and the wide open spaces. And uh, yeah, my mom guided that for many years as well. So she's walked the talk. <laughs> And um, yeah, still very active in Eden to Addo as our chairperson in our board. 
and I know one other thing that you're very passionate about is education. We're fellow teachers, we're both trained teachers, and I know that you've had time back in the classroom recently. How important is, is it to teach our young people about the importance of the environment and perhaps our impact as people on the environment? That's the most important thing. Education and environmental education is so close to my heart. It has been one of my passions and focuses for many, many years because I think what is at the root and the root cause of what our issues are that we are facing, our crises, whether it's climate or biodiversity breakdown, is that there is a lack of connection between people and nature. We forget that we are nature. And so I feel like environmental education is so crucial because it allows children and teens to reconnect with their place in the web of life and to reawaken that sense of wonder and if you have that strong connection with your natural environment, you will make decisions based on that relationship and you don't destroy what you love. So I believe education is a crucial, crucial element. And in fact, we work closely with Lunchbox Theatre to do environmental and social theatre productions for children at schools about the corridor. And um, if anybody would want to sponsor one at a school, a local school, uh, we can do a show. And um, that is a wonderful way of awakening the, the wonder and also the educational element of why nature is important and why corridors are important. Well, it all sounds a perfectly sensible and logical plan, of course, something that will benefit people and the planet. However, as we know, with, even with the best of plans, nothing is ever straightforward. What are the main challenges you face in, in uh, making all this work? Yeah, as with anything, there are always challenges. Uh, one of our challenges is, of course, funding to take this project to scale. It is a large-scale project and a long-term vision, decades worth, you know, to open up these corridors, establish these corridors. So funding is, of course, necessary. And now with the 30 by 30 target, where we as a country have become a signatory to the Global Biodiversity Framework, uh, Kunming Montreal Agreement, where 30% of all terrestrial land needs to be protected by the year 2030. There are more opportunities for funding to come from the Global North to the Global South and to Africa and South Africa, so we're hoping we can tap into that. The other challenges are, of course, mainly around education and understanding the importance of biodiversity and that without functioning ecosystems, we no longer have clean air, clean water, healthy soils, and that's the basis of our life. So from a very selfish perspective, we don't look after and protect and restore the integrity of our ecosystems, we're not going to survive. So uh, the challenge is to educate um, and communicate why this work is so important and why fences you know, that are not necessary could be taken down so that animals can move in those areas. For example, the tortoises you know, really suffer with the electric fences. They come up against the bottom tripwire and when they are shocked they retreat into their shells and because that is where they go if they're in a fearful situation they retreat into their shells but their shells are still touching the tripwire and they are electrocuted so you know when we're losing tortoises 
and they at you know unprecedented rates and they are so important for the pollination and the seed dispersal for the succulent karoo which is also um, under threat from things such as poaching of succulents it is rampant at the moment um, it's not only happening in the Macquarland it's happening here in the Eastern Cape too so yeah many many challenges but we are really heartened by the interested and willing landowners who see the greater vision uh, of what is possible in terms of conservation and corridors. Well we are changing landscapes of course. For generations people have farmed perhaps intensively in these areas. They naturally have to fence those areas. How do the farmers and landowners you speak to, how do you, how do you get them to understand the benefits and how do they benefit from this change in uh, land use? Well, I have to give credit to Dick Carr, who is our corridor coordinator. He is an extremely experienced conservation biologist, been working many years in conservation, and I think uh, one of the country's best extension officers. And he engages with the landowners and the farmers. And the farmers that we are working with see the greater vision of leaving a legacy, um, securing and protecting their land in terms of conservation. You know, there have been more than a decade of drought conditions here in this area, as we know, um, luckily broken by the the recent rains and the incredible rainy season we just had. But the margins are still slim for farmers in these areas. As you say, the land has been degraded and overgrazed, and so conservation presents a new opportunity in terms of tourism income streams. It can provide employment through tented camps and guided trails and lodges, and it's, it's a new era of uh, potential in terms of opening up these corridors, creating tourism benefits and at the same time restoring biodiversity in the area and creating employment. How do we maintain food security in all this? Because obviously uh, we've got an overpopulated planet, people need to eat, farmers produce food. How is that built into this overall plan? Well, farmers can declare their properties as a protected environment and still continue farming. But it's about how you manage the land and that's the support that we provide to farmers is that we provide them with um, annual audits and management plans in order to you know, rotate the areas that are being grazed and at the same time open up other areas that are not suitable for agriculture for for animals to move through and so it can be a win-win situation and there are other benefits through declaring protected environments and nature reserves and even protecting threatened species they tax rebates that one can now receive through those and um, yeah even municipal rate reductions so there are many benefits you know towards protecting your your land that has been in your family for generation you know I was with a farmer yesterday, Patrick Brewer, whose family has been on the land since 1870. You know, these are sentimental and long-lived connections with the land. Um, and he sees the vision for how we can really um, bring in a new era of relationship with the land where we are restoring and protecting and at the same time um, 
the land can still be used for agriculture in clever, well-managed ways. We also, um, when working with organizations such as WWF, there are opportunities for incentives for landowners to declare their properties as a protected area and increase the protected area network through uh, assistance with alien invasive clearing and erosion control, etc. So many incentives and benefits for the landowners. Well, that's that's great to hear because we need to be pragmatic, don't we? Um, so many people in conservation perhaps talk about um, great plans, but we need to put it into place. So how can people listening to this uh, podcast find out more and perhaps get involved in what you're doing? Well, you can definitely visit our website. So it's www.edentoaddo.co.za. And why not become a corridor custodian? And you could contribute monthly in a small way, two cups of coffee's worth to us, you know, a hundred rand a month and contribute to our work, that would be fantastic. You can be actively involved in becoming a corridor custodian and leaving a legacy. We want to leave a legacy of thriving life. We want to shift what is happening in terms of ecological collapse and shift the narrative to one of thriving life where people and nature and wildlife from the smallest insect to the elephants are able to thrive in this area. Um, And let us not forget the elephants are the migratory species and you know, would have used these ancient migratory paths all the way from Addo down to the forests of the garden route. So, um, yeah, please help us support opening up these migratory pathways. I've got to ask you about elephants. You just mentioned that one of the most famous things I know about Neisner in the area which you live, that beautiful, beautiful part of the garden route there, is the Neisner elephants. I believe there are elephants, or at least one, still living in that beautiful forest. Yes. All the research shows that there is only one Neisner elephant left in the forests, the deep valley forests of the garden route. And it's a sad story. She, in fact, has become a symbol or an emblem of what can happen to a species when the landscape is fragmented by human activity and agriculture. And she can no longer join her kin. Uh, She's the last free-roaming elephant in South Africa. And what is sad is, of course, is that she's a matriarch, but she has no herd to be a matriarch over. So for companionship, she sometimes leans against the bell logger at night. So she has become an emblem, as I say, for what can happen when protected areas are cut off. Um, There's no longer opportunity for movement. Uh, and animals can no longer move according to the threats that face them. It's an incredible story. I mean, elephants are amazing, amazing animals. And uh, to think that she's there wandering alone in a place where there were once hundreds and hundreds of elephants. And that's what, of course, we've done. We've affected our environment. But with people like yourselves and the agents you're working with, let's hope, and I'm sure with this 2030 agreement, that we're going to have to go um, in that direction, which is fantastic. And I'm just going to finally end with probably a big question here, Ian. And I want you to be honest. Where do you see this part of South Africa, the Western Cape, but predominantly the Eastern Cape, in terms of biodiversity biodiversity in the next 50 years? Be realistic. Is this achievable? I think it's achievable. I think you need to have vision and you need to have hope. And I think 
It doesn't mean that all our other human activities can't continue, but if we open these corridors and allow the natural flow of life to occur, we can live alongside nature and nature can thrive. These ecosystems will be able to be restored through natural processes, as I said, through the, the tortoises dispersing the rare succulent seeds, um, through other animals moving and keeping the land and the soil alive, healthy. So I think the vision is very doable. Uh, you need to think long term. We as humans tend to think for short term gain, but I think it is very possible and with the people, the passionate people in conservation that are working on these projects, I think it's very achievable. Well, I know that our children and future generations will be very grateful for what you're doing. So keep up the great work and thanks for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Dean. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.